Welcome back to the Book Love Foundation podcast. It's season five. I'm Penny Kittle, founder of the Book Love Foundation. We fund classroom libraries. We have currently given away almost $600,000 in grants to fund 270 outstanding teachers in 41 U.S. states and six provinces. With the ongoing pandemic and our current political climate, we believe we need to build more inclusive libraries. It's more important than ever. That's why we've planned a special season of podcasts to give you, our listeners, some ideas on how we continue this important work. Today, we're going to listen to an interview by Book Love Foundation board member, Julia Torres, who is a Denver librarian and the co-founder of the Disrupt Text movement. She's an anti-racism educator and a national speaker. Can I just say, as someone who's presented with her, she is amazing. I'm Julia Torres, and I am here with Julie Stivers and Catherine Cole. We are so excited to talk with you today about LibCollab, which is a hashtag, a movement, a collective, a group of librarians and library media specialists, whatever you want to call it, who are here to serve the needs of our students during these unprecedented times, as people like to say. So we're going to kick things off with a few introductions, and then we'll go ahead and talk about what it means to be a librarian, or if you want to turn it into a verb, what librarianing is like in these times of coronavirus and quarantine and school from home and all of those things. So Catherine, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience first, please? Sure. So I'm Catherine Cole or Cat Cole from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I'm a public school librarian at the K-5 level, actually pre-K-5. And I've been doing this now for about, gosh, 15 years. And it feels like a brand new year (laughs) doing this in this environment. So it's been um, a lot of learning, but Lib Club has been great for that, that community. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I know we have a lot of listeners that are language arts teachers who have libraries in their classrooms, but we also are starting to have more librarians join the community as well, which is one of the reasons why I wanted the very first podcast of the year to start off with librarians. So thank you so much for joining us. Julie, tell us about yourself. Sure. I'm Julie Stivers. I love Julia. I love that word librarianing. I decided I'm going to put that on my television work log. I'm librarianing all day. I am a middle school librarian, so six through eight in Raleigh, North Carolina at a public alternative school. And I'm so happy to be here. I was looking at your prior podcast guests and I thought, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? But we're ready to talk. Listen, I'm honored to have both of you here. Every guest I'm always so excited that folks are willing to give a little bit of their time to jump into a conversation with me because I really think that we've gotten feedback that some folks listen to this on their drive home from work. And though we don't have drives home from work, most of us anymore, it's always better to feel less alone. I think. And that's what podcasts sometimes do for me is I feel a little bit less alone, especially when there are other folks who are librarians that I get to listen to. So I thought we could kick things off by just talking a little bit about what it has been like to do the library thing, to be librarianing during the time of COVID. I am a public school librarian as well. And my library serves students in grades six through 12. Massive difference in the way that librarianing looks 
with sixth graders versus 12th graders. And that has taken some adjustment. I think now folks are more likely to speak and they get excited when I do a classroom visit. So they'll pop up in the chat with cool things to say and questions. But in the beginning, it just felt like everyone was like in shock that we really weren't going back to school. And everyone was just kind of, you know, more quiet, cameras were off, it was so awkward. So, you know, there are a lot of things that I think about when I think about this past year, if we go from January now to January a year ago, we didn't have any clue that things were gonna be how they are right now. So either of you, whoever wants to begin, could you just take us through your journey of being a librarian over the last year? What are some highlights or big things that have happened over the past year? Sure, I'll start. I'll never forget Julie saying actually in the spring how as librarians when everything hit and we went out, how unmoored we felt. Just being without our kids, our students in person, having those small conversations in and out of the library. And I thought it was a perfect way when everything hit to kind of surmise how um, it felt to be a librarian in that moment and trying to figure out without necessarily a class of our own, how do we fit in this new environment that everybody's been thrown into in a matter of like less than 24 hours a week, if you're lucky. And what, what I started in spring actually shifted into the fall. In the spring, it was very much, okay, I'll just do, I'm going to do some recordings. I'm going to do some read-alouds that kids and their families can share, you know, whenever whenever they'd like to, when it fits them, or teachers can share those. Um, and would always try to connect it to, I'll share a story, and then here's a connection that you can do in your home. So it's almost like an interactive read-aloud, but a recording of that. I would bring in puppets, and um, but even still without those students in front of me just felt very disconnected. So I knew moving into the fall that I wanted to have a real presence with students and staff in a very consistent way. I'm not part of the specials um, rotation. A lot of elementary librarians I know are across the country, but at our school, we do run a flexible schedule, which is wonderful in a lot of ways. But in this environment, felt very isolating without really making it a point to work with teachers, to be in their spaces, those virtual spaces. So every other week I see every class I go in and really the focus for me this fall has been joy and justice and continues to be that moving into the spring. So we center read alouds, we center uh, conversations. When Hour of Code came, we were focusing on some joyful Hour of Coding activities that kids could collaborate on. But it's really been, for me, trying to center just the joy of story, but doing that in a way that also allows students to think critically and look at what that word justice means at the elementary level. So that's where my focus has been this fall. Awesome. It's really good to hear that because I'm at the middle and upper, you know, secondary level. And it's been, I would say similar in some ways, but I am in a community that had to fight to get their library back. I think folks know by now that that was a big part of my librarian journey was that we didn't have a library at all for a long time. So it took us a bit, I would say over a year, 18 months to build that community, building wide, culture of valuing reading and literacy. I won't say all students didn't because we have many students who were always readers with or without the library, but we also have many who were not. And so the struggle was getting folks to attend the author visits, getting folks to attend the read alouds, getting folks to get excited about checking a book out when someone would come to class. And then once we got in the rhythm of doing that, 
coronavirus hit. And so all of that was taken away. And so I can say in hearing you talk, I hear about a lot of work that you've put in to making sure that you change the culture of reading in your building to one that still provides the essentials for the young ones, but it just might look a little bit different. And that's something that I've really tried to work on as well. I've been not as successful in some ways and you know, more successful than I thought I would be in others. It's not easy to maintain a school-wide culture of reading during coronavirus. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard in a in a normal environment, right? In a in a traditional environment without all all of this um, surrounding us, and in addition to you know COVID nineteen, we have so many other things happening in our society and our world, and all of that's going on and surrounding our kids while we're going about this business of school. <laughs> and so, what does that then look like for our library programs? And I've I've really had to for for my own self had to say in this moment and Julie and I have talked a lot, talked a lot about this in the spring like what are we doing <laughs> so with that what are we doing how then can libraries situate ourselves and librarians and our programs in a way that really focuses on the students in front of us and keeping that that joy at the heart of learning and i think that's what libraries do so well when we center our students is joy is at the is at the dead center of that. So that's what we're striving for in our program. I couldn't agree more. That's absolutely something that I strive for is that the library is a place where maybe they can get a little bit of respite from the you know academic rigor or the language that we use that really means that we are you know, turning the process of education from something that should be rooted in curiosity into something that too often is done to students rather than with them. So Julie, tell me a little bit about your journey over this past year. I know that you're one of the people who I consider a rock star in terms of like getting secondary students really continuously reading because you have so many different ways of doing it. And our secondary students are like, they're, they are stereotypically, you know, pushed away from reading for pleasure a lot of times. So what was your library journey like this year? It felt like, and I don't know if you two felt the same, like in March, it was like triage almost, right? Like no one knew, our district was telling us, we'll definitely be back at school on Monday. And I thought to myself, there's no way. Like I was throwing books at kids. Like I wanted every kid to leave with like 20 books because I'm like, I know I'm not going to see you for a while. And I don't know if I felt like all of a sudden librarians were like being super valued for providing access and helping teachers set up Google classrooms and doing all of these things, which I'm not saying those things aren't important, but it scared me because I was like, I could see us like getting pushed away from literacy when I think we'd all agree, like that's the bedrock. That's the foundation of what we do is joy and justice through literacy. And so I was very lucky because with our school, like I said, we're an alternative school. We decided to like prioritize math and English. And the great thing is, even though we have a scripted curriculum, our administration and ELs said, let's do something different. And the ELA teacher said, well, what book should we do, Miss Divers? And I was like, okay. So we did Stamped in eighth grade and Trevor Noah Born a Crime and kind of like Brothers in sixth grade. So we had all of these books. So that's what I got to do in the spring was just be like a co-teacher in ELA classes 
which was amazing and wonderful. And my like independent reading part was gathering all of these, a lot of like the free things that came out in the spring, right? They weren't good. There wasn't a lot of own voices. There wasn't a lot of graphic novels. There wasn't a lot of like engaging reading materials. So it was like trying to find really good things. Like Nick Stone advertised her fan fiction that she had written like years ago. So that would be the kinds of things that I would go into classes and talk to like these other kinds of reading that we could suddenly have access to. Every student in our district had a Chromebook, so we could do that. And then the fall, kind of like Kat was saying, like you were saying, Julia, I wanted to reimagine. I'm like, okay, I need to step back and like really like push in with my library program and make sure that I'm continuing that. And I thought, I'm going to do this over the summer. I got a grant and I did eBooks and digital audiobooks. And I'm like, I'm set. It was not a hit, right? Like it was not, it was not what my students wanted. And I thought, okay, okay. And I was coming into classes and I was doing all of this, like all of these visits and everything. And after about maybe a month, I was like, Julie, break it down to what works best is one-on-one with a student. So I started setting up individual reading conferences with all my students. Now, I do not have a huge school, so I know that someone listening to this could be like, oh, that sounds great. But you could prioritize one class or one level or your ELL learners or you know, a class that like really needs that independent reading for pleasure. And that was amazing. I could come into a class and book talk these amazing things and show videos and authors and like, let me know what you want. And I wouldn't get as much when I did an individual reading conference. Every kid would be like, these six books is what I want. So I'd have them ready because we went back in November. So when they came in, then at their desk would be like clean quarantine books in a bag with their name on it. So that was amazing way to do hybrid with them. Now we are fully remote for a while, so I'm going to be doing the same things, but with book deliveries, again, because I have a smaller school, so I can make that happen. But Yeah, that's incredible. We've got lots of um, librarians in our district that are experimenting with dropping books off at kids' homes. I'm, I have also done a little bit of that, but it was not a good thing when I was expecting that people would come to school and be so excited to get these books. And I had this request form, I was ready to go. And then it just didn't happen. People were not showing up to school to get these books. And so now it's a more organic process where I push into a lot of language arts classrooms and work with language arts teachers on whatever unit they're already doing. And then just try to add in the choice reading But then some teachers actually have independent reading units. And so that's when we really get to get creative. And I think the favorite thing that I've done so far last semester was we got the chance to um, organize. Each kid got to do like a vertically aligned stack. So they had a picture book, a chapter book, a middle grade book, and a YA book. And then if they could find one, an adult book, these were 11th graders, and they chose to thematically build the stack. So that was really cool because then they did these presentations where they talked about what they could find in each of the books that was crossover. And we had somebody um, just really finding motifs in different books that probably the authors would say, well, I have nothing to do with that author or their book, but they had some really beautiful symbolism that crossed over. And that's where the reader response experience really gets exciting. So I know exactly what you're talking about. I have ambitions this quarter of delivering all of the copies of Superman Smashes the Clan that we got donated for all ninth graders. Every ninth grader in our school gets a copy of that comic book it was donated by the tattered cover and I'm super excited about it. It's just been difficult because just like you both said, one minute it's hybrid, then it's staying at home, completely remote. Then it's some kids are in the building, but not all. And so making sure that you're 
not participating in cross-contamination, but you're still able to circulate the materials has been really big because, you know, the CDC has guidelines and other places have guidelines for how long library materials need to rest. And fortunately, we're still able to order books, right? So I've shifted my ordering to a lot more ebooks and audiobooks. And then our district really stepped up the, uh, the audiobook and the ebook collection that all students have access to. So there's certain books that I purchased for those in my building. And then there are certain that all students in the district have access to. I still have ambitions of doing, you know, a book club that is respite or a break away from the reading that students get assigned, but they can still somehow get credit for it. And I'm still working on what that would look like and how I can figure that out. But uh, it is good to see that kids are still wanting to read and that there are books out there that are being published these days that they are really excited about. So I want to talk about Live Collab. So what is Live Collab? Why did you start it? How did you start it? Who's involved? What do you talk about? What are some things that have come out of it? So that um, when Kat mentioned Unmoored, it was just a tweet that I sent out with like a picture of my library, like that second week, right? Like where are our students? And um, in the beginning, Julia, when you were talking about this podcast and like feeling alone, I think librarians, we often feel alone, right? Because we're the only one in our school building or across multiple like campuses, like for you, Julia. And so it felt even more so that way because we were just all siloed away from each other and away from our students. So it just came about, let's start a Google Doc. Let's get together like this, like very loosely, organically made national PLT of school librarians. And the first couple, we would just meet on a Google Meet like once a month. I know, Julia, you were on one of them. We would talk about how to engage students in distance learning, how to support, how to push for access, how to advocate for our students. Like in this new, as we're designing school, like Kat was kind of talking about, like I kept saying, what are we doing? Why are we talking about testing, you know, and how we could be advocates for our students in our school spaces. And then from there, over the summer, we thought, let's dive into Project Ready, which is a free self-paced um, online anti-racist curriculum for all educators, librarians, and public librarians. And so then we've started moving through those modules. And so in a lot of ways, it's kind of LibCollab, I'd say, has shifted recently into more talking about how to like disrupt whiteness in libraries, in addition to um, diving into the modules of Project Ready, which of course, part of that is disrupting whiteness. And cishet normativity and other um, issues of equity, I feel like it's almost become recently an affinity group, right? Like we don't need to, you know, white librarians don't need to put work and labor on our colleagues of color for understanding a lot of these issues. And we need to do our own internal work and come together. And of course, be learning from all of our colleagues of color, our BIPOC colleagues, when we're doing that. So in a lot of ways, Lab Collab has shifted into that a little bit, that it's a space for us to come together um, and learn and dive into and learn from BIPOC scholars through the Project Ready curriculum. Is that fair, Kat? That's kind of what it's turned into. I think when we finish Project Ready, it will go back to more a broader, okay, let's come together as librarians again. What have we learned? What are we doing um, to advocate for our students? Yeah, but what and what I love about the work that we've done with Project Ready is that it's really put that, um, because so much of the work has been through Project Ready over the summer and into the fall, it's really centered that work as part of this community that we've built. And what's been really nice to see is how that community has grown in such a way that we've really gotten to know one another and build camaraderie around the issues that matter 
most (laughs) and around the work that we all really need to be doing in our library spaces. And then on top of that, as we grow the community, we we can add layers. But this is the work that we need to be thinking about in libraries because libraries aren't immune to racism. They're not immune to any kind of inequity. So we have to be very conscious of keeping that at the center. And and I have really appreciated growing the community around that work and building that solidarity with other librarians who are committed to doing the same moving forward. So it's been, it's been wonderful, the community that's being built as part of that. That's really exciting. I know that I was really, I gained a lot from just attending the one live collab meeting that I did go to. I, after I did see that it was turning more toward anti-racism for white librarians, that is such important work, but that's work that I wanted to not be doing just because I'm not a white librarian and I absolutely wanted to, you know, dedicate my spaces to the librarians who are BIPOC librarians out there who we find solidarity in other ways because our racial healing work looks different as well. It's not that we don't have to do it. It just looks different. And so, yeah, so that's, those are some conversations that I've been taking part in, especially over the summer with the Book Love Foundation Summer Book Club, which is super exciting. I I do want to say one quick thing about Live Collab. It's not, I don't want people to think that now it's like just a bunch of white librarians talking about things. It's like the Project Ready has been like this arm off of it. And we still have, I think there's like 150 librarians, right, that are still in Live Collab and it's open obviously for everyone and we can't wait to like get back to some of our bigger meetings so I did want to say that real quick so before we wrap things up what are you reading what do you love right now that you can share with our listeners I can start um if it's like right now right now and I'm going to call out two local authors so right now right now I am reading Tristan Strong destroys the world this equal to the first um, Kwame, by Kwame Mabalia, who is an amazing author. Everyone should be following him on social media if you're not anyone out there. And another, so that's what I'm reading right now. And probably I would say my favorite read since the pandemic hit would be Legend Born by Tracy Dion, which is a beautiful YA novel that is joy and justice, like Kat was talking about, but Black Girl Magic through the lens of like Arthurian legends in a modern retelling. It's beautiful and amazing. I just pulled that one. I'm, I was in the process of moving because I moved, I decided I needed to move house in December, which was really chaotic. End of the semester, right after NCT and I'm moving house. So it was chaotic. I have a lot of boxes and books that I unpacked and Legend Born was one that I just unpacked today. So I'll definitely move that toward the top of my stack. Kat, what about you? So I'm actually going to echo one of Julie's, not to double up here, but I I also want to shout out um, Kwame and Malia. We were able to have a surprise visit right before the break where he came in and surprised our fifth grade scholars in one of our Google Meets that we had arranged. And so I am in the middle of that audiobook, um, his second, Tristan Strong Destroys the World, along with some of our kids who are, they all got a copy of his book. So we're reading that together. And like Julie says, highly, highly recommend if that is not, you know, and that's, we're at the elementary school and reading it. And it's one of those books that can span like from elementary across middle and even into high. So he's a big, a huge fan favorite at Northside. And the other book that I, so I have joined the Haymarket 
book club. That was a gift that my husband and I gave each other, their monthly book club for the holidays, which is also kind of bananas because I get way too many books that I can't go through enough in time as it is. But I'm reading The Black Lives Matter at School, Uprising for Educational Justice. Just came out. Um, it's been instrumental for thinking about what that's going to look like for our school. It's been a really wonderful guide. There's a really great chapter in there, specifically written, geared towards where they take the 13 guiding principles and each principle, they lay it out in language geared towards younger elementary, like from pre-K, early elementary, even like early pre-K students and how to introduce the guiding principles with young learners. So we've been going through that and, and reading some of the stories in the collections. And so that's where my mind is and my reading life is at right now, diving into that to support the work we're doing at our school. I did read What Lane in the Fall, another highly recommended book, Love, uh, for Maldonado and, and his work. And that's a personal favorite as well. And picture books too, being at the elementary level. So I... Have behind, speak up um, by Miranda Paul is one that um, we're getting ready to use with some of our youngest learners, letting them know that they have a voice that they can use even at the littlest ages. Probably have to create a little web page where we can just keep track of all of the great suggestions that folks have. I'm going to go ahead and suggest this one. It's called DMZ Colony and it's by Don Mi Choi. And it is a collection of essays and pictures. And it's kind of like a mixed media book, but it's all about Korea and life on the DMZ line. So I'm reading that one for one book club. And then my other book club is reading Sula from Toni Morrison and Chlorine's by Mahogany Brown. And there is an elementary school book for from Mahogany Brown, Elizabeth Acevedo, and a few other folks. It's called Woke. And it's so beautiful. So if folks are elementary school, you know, great for our young poets. So definitely want to encourage folks to really think about that vertically articulated stack. What could that look like for any age level if you said, hey, here's a picture book that's an entry to what you love. Here's a chapter book like, you know, what lane that's an entry to what you love. Here is a middle grade and YA and then here's an adult book that I love. But, you know, you may not quite be there, but this is something that you could shoot for. That's something that I'm really passionate about right now. Well, just hearing you talk about that, I think it's so that that idea of the vertical alignment is so wonderful for families too. like having a theme or an or, you know, a subject across that an entire family could dive into from the youngest to the oldest makes me think of some. Now my wheels are turning. <laughs> And staff, I was thinking like that staff could choose with professional books and YA and middle grade. I was going to ask you, I just ordered this book, The Anti-Racist Writing Workshop, How to Decolonize the Creative Classroom by Felicia Rose Chavez. Have you, has anyone read that? I saw a picture of that. I don't have it yet, but I've seen a picture of that. Looks so interesting. You'll have to let us know how it is. I'm really looking forward also to, I know Tiffany Jewell has like a journal component that's coming out. It's a separate book, but it's a journal component to this book is anti-racist. So I definitely plan on picking that one up as well. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been so great to talk with both of you. And I know that we are joined with librarians out there listening to this right now. So please reach out to us. How do we get a hold of you, Julie, if we want to talk to you? I'm on Twitter at bespoke lib 
And Kat, how can they get a hold of you? At Kat Cole Reads um, on Twitter and email my school email, kcole, chccs.k12.nc.us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. It was a pleasure. Yay. Thank you so much for listening. The Book Love Foundation is currently accepting grant applications until March 15th of this year. Our funding depends on kind teachers like you sharing our work with others. For more information about applying for a grant or just to check out our new website, professional development, our summer book club, how to get involved, check out booklovefoundation.org. Thank you again and happy reading.